Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That is spelled B-L-E-A-V. You did not hear me wrong. I did not mispronounce Believe or Believe. I'm going to start saying Believe, Believe, and then people are going to look at me weird, and it's going to be their fault. But they give me ads sometimes, so they're cool. Um, (laughs) That brings me to our illustrious guest this week, in my opinion, I think one of the most esteemed comedy journalists, uh, period. Um, uh, one of my favorite people in comedy. And the person that sold me the desk on which this laptop rests on. Give it up for Julie Seymour, everybody. <laughs> Man, hey, that's, Julie. A, that's a lot of hype to live up to from like <laughs> the, the comedy journalism to the desk. Yeah. how's that how's that desk working out for you there it, it, it's working out quite quite lovely uh it it, it it it's way easier to handle than th- this giant tanker desk that i used to have um it goes quite well with all the wood accents i have in my room yeah it's a nice looking kind of sort of retro little classy mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's an upgrade from like a card table and a folding chair you know Right, right. It, it feels like it could be from Ikea, but it's not. No, um, yeah. I think it was more like Office Depot or something. That's fine. But yeah, there's something asymmetrical about it that I like. Um, I mean, <laughs> if people if people want a picture of it, I'll message me, DM me and I will send it to you. Um, unless we keep talking about it more and then I'll, the picture I'll use for this episode of the pod will be the desk. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to change, we're going to turn this podcast from like comedy journalism and a comedy documentary into just like talking about desks on which to create all this stuff. Right. And I'm sure that would get way more listeners than talking (laughs) about comedy news. (laughs) All that that desk audience, those diehard desk fanatics. Yeah, absolutely. Dare I even type in to Apple podcast, the desk podcast and see what comes up. Got to hit all those like annual desk festivals where all the, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the new faces of desks are debuted. (laughs) 
I you you watched Exit through the gift shop, right, Julie? Yeah, it's been a while, but I have. I like. Do you it. remember when Banksy goes like, "I used to tell everybody that they can be an artist and they should," and after this, after Mr. Brainwash, I don't think I want to tell people that anymore. <laughs> I'm not. That's not. Yeah, that's not really something I agree with. <laughs> oh about everybody being an artist yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like podcast is like i don't know i don't know if that should be a podcast yeah I, I i don't even think like a good half of comics should be comics <laughs> oh yeah I'm, yeah there's you way too many comics now from back in back in my day when i first started you like knew who all the comics were and you could keep track of every special and every album that came out and right. there was like no social media and now it's just like oh, i can't deal it's way too much it's way it, too much it's so so much and i can't get over the fact that it's like there's a whole new class as you can probably imagine that started on zoom and clubhouse and stuff like that and instagram live and only are now starting to perform in person right yeah isn't that a I'm, trip? I'm now on my like third kind of generation mm -hmm. of, of stand-up comedians. Mm -hmm. You know, like the one you enter is, is you start there and right. then there was kind of all the, the hipster and alternative wave right. grew larger. And now it's, yeah, it's mostly kind of online presence stuff. It's been fascinating to watch. Right. Some, some I feel like can cross over and have figured that out. Um. But yeah, a lot seem to operate in one or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I'm I'm out of the loop on most of it. I'll if you ask me about. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh well, I am curious. What what do you define as that first generation that you entered into comedy journalism with? Uh, so I graduated the University of Missouri's journalism school in December of 2002. I took an extra semester right. and boy, am I glad I did. Cause that's when, uh, Dave Attell came and performed and how I actually got into stand-up comedy. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was more writing about film and music stuff until he came and, um, got a lot of us drunk and, um, <laughs> I got, and I'm like, I like comedy now. I'm going to write about comedy. So I moved to New York immediately in January of 2003. Mm -hmm. And like the youngsters then were Mike Birbiglia and <laughs> like Dane Cook. And, <laughs> you know, they were the new ones at that time. Right, right. Oh, this is just the emergence of MySpace, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. That was 2004 was the big... Um, that was when Dane Cook had like his 4 million friends on right. MySpace and, and kind of, yeah, I saw him in real time go mm -hmm. to like the whole Madison Square Garden explosion and do it having the uh, platinum record sales, Comedy Central Records. And right. yeah, Comedy Central Records itself was even brand new at the time. They didn't start until 2002. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a different time. Like at the cellar, you could go actually for free <laughs> and just sit there all night long for like six hours. And you didn't have and to be a comedian? kind of my comedy education. Oh. No, they would, wow. they would, you could get in for free. You just had to do the two drinks because it wasn't massively popular at that time. There wasn't <laughs> a lot of right. like comedy 
coverage wasn't a thing. Anything you read about comedy was just sort of shoved in with the music or the calendar listings and, you know, the, the, the bills were all kind of interchangeable. No one went to see specific comics. You just went to see a show. We hadn't reached the time yet where comedians cultivated their own fan bases and could kind of play all these independent venues instead of clubs. Right. You know, and that's, it's interesting that that's what that time was because, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in depth later, but you just have uh, finished a documentary called Too Soon, Comedy After 9-11. That, I mean, I mean, arguably part of it takes place during that time, right? Yeah, it's basically how in the wake of 9-11, comedy kind of stopped. There were all these sort of think pieces about, are we ever going to laugh again? Is irony dead? And that was the first time, you know, the clubs closed. We've experienced that again recently. But at the time, it was like, what? Mm -hmm. The comedy clubs have never closed. Right. And then you have kind of the talk shows coming back, Letterman, Jon Stewart. You have the Onion newspaper uh, putting out their kind of now iconic all 9-11 issue. Right. Uh, The first SNL back, the Hugh Hefner roast where Gilbert makes his famous, Uh, you know, I've got to get out of here. My flight has a connection at the Empire State Building joke. Right. And then um, a wider um, kind of political look as we get into the Iraq war where comics like Mark Maron and David Cross and Janine Garofalo kind of come into their own. Also like the Daily Show, the Colbert Report are right. becoming these cultural touchstones, right. you know, reacting to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then like up through the modern day of Pete Davidson talking about his, you know, dead dad, you know, who was the mm-hmm. first uh, 9-11 first responder. Right. Um, so kind of how did we go from comedy is dead to now, it, you know, there's prevalent 9-11 jokes all across film and podcasts. And right. so how does comedy kind of help us heal in the mm-hmm. wake of tragedy? It's, it's tied to 9-11 and we're putting this out for the 20th anniversary, but it's also a lot more, universal in nature you know, we, we can this is this is the one time where we kind of needed comedy the most right but it also applies to a lot of other situations too you know it's just the sense of normalcy and right. the idea that if we can laugh at a mm-hmm. joke about this thing then we can kind of laugh and get through anything and that is too soon comedy after 9-11 <laughs> five years five long long years in the making um, yeah uh and great great work uh thank on you. It. I, I mean you liked it i yeah i really i really did you know i feel like whenever people say comedy is dead and certainly um you know during covid so many com- comedians were like it's dead like zoom sucks like I'm just gonna like <laughs> people took weeks and weeks they're like well, maybe I'll like I'll become like a like a baker you know um and would dream up bullshit like that and then other people like actually did other things like Caitlin Gill makes t-shirts now did you know that oh no I didn't wow. they're witty and funny good but good. like that, that's she <laughs> she has decided to take kind of a sabbatical and who knows what's going to happen but like makes t-shirts Wow. Yeah. I do. I did kind of hear that some comics were sort of, yeah, stepping away from ever wanting to perform live again and be more podcasters or 
clubhouse people or, mm-hmm. um, which I never, I don't know. I, I, I'm always just fascinated with live comedy more than anything else being yeah. there in the moment and everyone laughing at the same thing at the same time. Oh, yeah. Like to me, that's the most important thing and all the rest of it's just kind of helping the fan base along. Oh, so sure. I don't know why anybody would, I'm not a performer. I never have been, but <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know why any comic would ever give up that live experience. I feel like the, the, they just feel so hurt from all this time that, I mean, you know, maybe they just say that and then they'll inevitably want to come back, but I don't know. I don't want to speak for them because a lot of them have changed their mind or like, you know, even um, I remember at the start of lockdown, Lori Kilmartin was like, I'm not going to do zoom. Absolutely not that forget it. Fuck that. I'll quit comedy before I do zoom. Like three weeks later, there's more zoom comedy than like 90% of comedians. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I, the only um, parking lot show I went to was flappers that Lori was at. Um, right. And then I think I did, she, I think she did some of Sam Varela shows, right. the zoom stuff here and there. Right, right, right. Um, I would watch her every now and then. I remember I I saw a Judah Friedlander thing. Um, yeah, Judo did. I think he figured out his act on Zoom pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Because it's I, all it's all about working with it. The media. It's it's kind of like uh, if you remember Ian Abramson's Seven Minutes in Purgatory. Yeah. Like the key the key to it is working with the context. Right. And making the fact that you're doing this, you know, not ideal. Right. <laughs> video show from a different room mm-hmm. make that funny as opposed to just trying to do your standard material and comics who did that with zoom i think had a lot greater success absolutely i'll never forget with speaking of seven minutes purgatory, and i did bring that up when zoom comedy started um i'll never forget how josh fadum like did his whole seven minutes in purgatory set by pretending he was kidnapped and he was being <laughs> performing because <laughs> the angle that they shoot it at when you're in the truck or whatever or the room makes it look like you're kidnapped right yeah <laughs> <laughs> he knew that so that was really really uh really great but yeah um, perfect example yeah but I, I you know um i i i don't think comedy is ever really dead and i there was a picture of um the people like uh, about hundreds of people that got stuffed into a cargo plane uh, leaving Afghanistan. Um, and I don't even know where they were going, but they were just like, like, get us out of here, please. And for whatever it's worth, I bet somebody tried to crack a joke of some kind. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy. Easing the tension. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when Larry David got in trouble for like saying that they cracked jokes and, at the camps on in his SNL monologue? Um, I don't remember that specifically, but that's something that there was a there was a documentary about Holocaust humor. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a whole thing about it. Um, yeah. it's and it's true, it's a fact. They had jokes, they had humorous songs they made up about their situation. Because um, why wouldn't you? It's yeah, no, it, it doesn't really get much worse than that. And even in Too Soon, we interviewed uh, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick about their experience bringing the producers back on Broadway right. after 9-11. And, you know, the producers is all about Holocaust humor. 
<laughs> the entire thing. Yeah. You know, so the idea that you can't make fun of the Holocaust or anything for that matter, right. I've always thought is um, like my, the, the takeaway that I would, that I kind of want people to have from this film um, is not necessarily that it's okay to joke about anything anytime. It's more that comedy is subjective and you can't force people to have your same taste in comedy and decree this isn't appropriate. Right, right. Absolutely. Also, also, it helps if you like don't make fun of the victim right after. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's what what the kind of target of the joke is punching up versus punching down, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but there's just so much gray area in, mm-hmm. you, you know, whenever somebody on Twitter is like, you can't joke about diabetes or what, you know, right. my mom had cancer. Yeah. But not everyone's mom had cancer. And also mm-hmm. your mom might be possibly the first one to laugh about a cancer joke. You can't tell people what they can and can't laugh. Right. That, I mean, truly, that's the the crux of like the free speech of it. it. I mean, in the you know, for everybody that's like the free speech warriors or whatever in comedy is that you can say whatever you want and then people can feel about it, whatever, however they want. And both are valid and you need to allow for both. Right. I just think that the whole like canceling people for material is ridiculous. Just. <laughs> Yeah, also, there's... It, it hasn't worked. A, a friend of mine who works at Last Boston told me that like Shane Gillis played out to like three or four sold out shows. Yeah, I, I the cancellation of you know if it's a personal thing you did versus mm-hmm. you know professionally joke telling are very different stories. But in both cases, like who have we seen in the comedy community that's been canceled? that hasn't made some sort of comeback already. Even Bill Cosby is now getting right. ready. Like it's- He's trying, yeah. It's just not, if you and give he, it, a, if you give it again, like like comedy, give it time uh-huh. and it'll be acceptable again. Sure. I mean, well, Cosby will be an interesting case because I haven't heard anybody like take on any, like there's no dates announced. And obviously, even if he were to announce states, I like have thought about this. Would it be all protesters buying tickets and like selling out the show and then like, you know, never showing up? Like, I wonder what it would be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Cosby thing is tough. I just um, remember... Because that was an accountability thing that he needed to be held accountable for. Right. Yeah. Um, and his whole getting out of jail had nothing to do with any sort of culpability or That's apology sad. or anything. It was just like, we're going to let this dude go. Why? Um, I don't, he's old or something, I guess. No, essentially I'm oversimplifying. Oh, there, we wrote like a legal IOU and we have to honor that. Right. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it was, um, uh, I can't remember if I even like told you this. Uh, Brian Moses, the host of Roast Battle, and I were really close to wanting to start a Cosby Show rewatch podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Just because we both love the show so much. It meant a lot to us growing up for very different reasons. Uh, right. 
him, you know, as more of a role model and me as uh, someone who grew up in rural Missouri on a farm who like never saw black people. Right. And I didn't even know what stand-up comedy was at the time. And I loved that show. It was the one right. thing that me and my family all watched together every Thursday right. night. It was the best. Right. So we, it was going to be about kind of separating art from artists and having yeah. different guests on to like give their opinion. And, right. you know, we kind of fell apart during quarantine, but I still think it was a great idea. I think you should do it again, especially if, if Cosby mounts any sort of like anything that you should, you should do it for sure. Um, I mean, similar, similar to that, when the expose against CK came out in the New York times, I re-listened to hilarious, like pretty immediately. And like, I think the art and the versus the artist sort of dynamic, um, it's a case by case basis because like that album became much more disturbing. This like mm. after, because when you listen to it the first time, you assume that there's this intellectual separation between him and his observations. And then you re-listen to it after all of that. And you're like, oh, it's him. Right. Yeah. He and then the, the movie he had he, with, oh, uh, yeah. with Malkovich, it was like, oh, this is not a good movie to be watching right now. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that and that um whatever we were interviewing comedians for too soon uh one of the final questions we always asked was what is your favorite 9-11 joke and the vast majority of the responses were always the louis ck when was the first time he masturbated after 9-11 for me it was between the two towers going down so you know i'm not a good person and then after that after his uh, that the article came out then the answer kind of became well, I want to say the Louis C.K. joke, but I don't uh-huh. think I can anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or like, who had, who else has said that joke? Right. <laughs> Given that as an example, and then I'll give my answer. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it turned on a dime of, of kind of what uh, people thought about it and, and what they could say about it interesting because there's been so much more 9-11 jokes after that right yeah it's, i mean the time it, component comes into play obviously yeah even um i pointed this out to you i don't think this made the doc probably for a good reason but like drew michael's animated like 9-11 <laughs> like 9-11 yeah. two, two the two towers are like gay dads right well it's <laughs> it's um the two towers are one dad and his right, right. Par- and his partner is um it's been a while since i watched it but it, uh, i i think um a black man with earrings and right. muscles and right. they're, they're a couple but but the the dad that's the two towers like he's he has a plane stuck out of his head and they're on fire and that's and like are- his character he constantly has fire out of his head yeah and people are jumping off the top of yeah them. yeah we and did I- have it in there for a while but it got cut just for recognizability so sure. like, <laughs> nobody's gonna watch that and know what the hell that is right right i i mean i think content wise on an objective level if you can i think that's probably more graphic and explicit than like lucy k or gilbert goffert's joke because it's just so outrageously <laughs> so outrageous like over the top completely 
Yeah. And it's animated, so you can kind of right. get away. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get away with a real life figure right. of the towers and anyway. Right. But yeah, yeah. We, we definitely had a wealth of material. For sure. Use. I I don't know if I could pin it down to a single joke, but definitely. So last podcast on the left did like a whole three part series on the 9-11. Mm-hmm. And the third part of it, they covered all the conspiracy theories, including the dumbest ones. And that was very fun to listen to. (laughs) Yeah, there's the comedy inherent in that. Um, We didn't really get into conspiracy theories or too heavily into, well, even as I'm saying that, um, you know, we, we definitely take a stance Right. We have a perspective uh, politically, sure. but I don't think we went too far over the top with it. It was more right. about comedians' experiences and what they were reacting to. So right. the political stuff is is more from their point of view and and their jokes and like right. we get in we get into how Janine Garofalo was sort of mm-hmm. persecuted or I you know even before cancel cults are canceled right. by the by the right for making you know anti-george bush statements and tried to derail her career and not only sent um you know death threats to her but her management and her father and you know kind of stepped over the line in that way and that's nothing that we had to have a perspective on ourselves if you just let it play out you can just see it kind of speaks for itself Right. And, you know, given, I mean, it's so weird, the confluence, everything. I mean, given what's happened right now, uh, after 20 years in Afghanistan. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, can can you really say mission accomplished, guys? (laughs) Yeah, we we have we have some little mission accomplished tidbits in there, but also stuff like. Um, you know, Bill Maher's uh, politically incorrect show was canceled at that time, and he said so much worse stuff. <laughs> oh, sure, and, and <laughs> then he said then. to do yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then just saying, you know, everyone says the the terrorists who hijacked the planes were cowards. Right. But you know, say what you will, but you know, staying in a plane and crashing it into a tower for your religious beliefs there's definitely other adjectives but it's not really cowardly and that's basically the gist of what he said and right. the show goes away so right yeah even even before um there was you know social media and petitions and all that stuff uh you can see like no this stuff has been going on for a long 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 time yeah. Even what, you know, Bill Hicks, um, uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, we wouldn't say they were canceled, but yeah. they definitely had issues with authorities uh, trying to derail their careers, for sure. I'm, sh- I'm sure it's not in the historical record, but I'm sure there's a court jester who got beheaded because they went too far. Of course, of course. This It's, it's universal. It's timeless. It's never going to stop. And you know, we just kind of use the prism of 9-11 for right. illustrating all of it. Yeah. 
I, I do want to get more into that, especially the, like the this documentary being released in the context of now with COVID and Afghanistan and all that in the greater, you know, and the context of the art form of comedy. But you want to get to some comedy news, Julie? There's nothing I would love more. I'm, I'm out of the loop at the moment, so you're probably going to tell me some stuff that's surprising to me. Cool. I mean, that that is a thing I've been discovering every day, that uh, I, I am one of the only people that kept up to date on anything. <laughs> people forgot names, how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be everybody's lighthouse. I'm all right with that. I fully intend to be back in the loop, but I just need another, like, two and a half weeks to promote the film and then I'll be back on top of things, I swear. (laughs) Very, very cool. All right, so first on the docket, uh, SF Sketchfest, one of the world's biggest, uh, most preeminent comedy festivals, is going to be back in person for 2022. Dates announced just to, uh, today, uh, January 7th through the 23rd. Um, they don't have a lineup and announced. Tickets will go on sale in November. Um, but if you are a comedian and interested in performing and you're vaccinated, because they're requiring vaccination for attendees, staff, and performers, uh, you can uh, submit uh, right now. Um, I have yet to be go to Sketchfest. I got to watch that virtual one that they did for 2020, which is essentially a, 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 a virtually a fundraiser, literally. Um, but I assume that you have been a number of times, Julie. Definitely been at least twice that I can recall. Um, once I was with the Beards of Comedy, so that must have been around like, who knows, 2012 or 13, possibly. Oh, shout out Dave Stone and Andy Sanford. Yeah, Joe Zimmerman, TJ Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one was, what was I doing there? I don't remember exactly what, but it was more recent. Um, it was when... Uh, the state was doing re, not reuniting because that was at festival supreme right and this would have been after that but i think they were doing maybe fast times at ridge Vermont high or something like that mm-hmm. jeff goldblum was there cool um yeah it's always hard to figure out because we're we're relatively close to it obviously being in la but it's just so overwhelmingly like it, it normally lasts a whole month, isn't it? It's like partially January into February. So I guess it's a little shorter this year. Yeah. Like usually three to four weeks. And unlike yeah. JFL Montreal, where it is a month, but only one week of it is like what you want to watch. Unless, yeah. The English programming. English yeah. Language, unless you're from Quebec and you speak Quebecois. Right. Which I will always describe as uh, perfectly gr- grammatically correct french in an american accent yeah or you really really like clowns on stilts or giant paper mache heads of french comedians who you have no idea who they are right 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 you know what i'm talking those guys who walk around in the street i absolutely do and it's so funny that that is covid safe (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna have a festival of only giant paper mache head people walking around great great i'm paper mache head festival of comedy 
I mean, people still came out and watched that stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why, but they still they still did. Um, but yeah, uh, Sketchfest has wall to wall like three to four weeks of like things that I I don't know. Both you and me want to watch for sure. But I I mean, I think a lot of other people want to watch. I, and I haven't gone because I want to go for like the whole time. And that's yeah. just like a lot of a lot of money to sink in you know yeah like i've done edinburgh twice for the whole month um you know that's in august every year um but yeah i've never done the whole sketch fest i do like their programming like they always had a good way of like if you're a real super geek about older shows that never got our current kind of coverage of com- like now we cover everything in comedy right. and in years past maybe certain classic shows fell through the cracks in terms of you know being as appreciated as much as they should so they have all these like reunions and panels and right. old screenings and yeah i always loved all that stuff that they had right oh yeah they, they made a big i think one year it was like pete and pete was the big deal yeah, like they always have stuff like that that you got to be super geeky. Yeah, but they, I mean, I mean, Lord knows there are a bunch of those. I mean, you so you've been to the whole month of Edinburgh. I also have not been to Edinburgh, but I wanted to go for the whole month. How how is that like being somebody who's not putting on a show and just watching shows every night? Yeah, um, I kind of had to limit myself to one show every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, and, and I was like reviewing stuff at the time, mm-hmm. uh, because it is, is, it's insane just seeing, um, you know, the f- more famous comics from the States will kind of only come in and maybe just do a weekend or a week at a, at a bigger venue. But for mm-hmm. the most part, you're booked there for a month in a smaller venue that might normally operate as a cafe or bar or I, I remember i saw shane mouse in a parking garage yeah um cool. like shipping containers like you're on, <laughs> like I, I i you can literally like see a show in anything everything becomes a venue right and not to mention the free fringe which is not officially affiliated but it's just like well right. we're out in the streets yeah um every all the way up to like eddie Izzard at a castle you know right Right. um but a lot of these performers have to uh promote themselves and they're out there barking you know and handing out flyers every single day which if you tried to make comics professional comics Mm -hmm. you know do that for a month here (laughs) they'd be like uh no i'm (laughs) way beyond this yeah but yeah, you really see them like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Mm-hmm. And I also remember the press mattered a lot more, like reviews from, you know, all the papers have their comedy critics, which I always loved. I was so fascinated with Brian right. Logan and Kate Copstick. Like, oh, yeah. they're my, they're my comedy journalism heroes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Like that really mattered. Um, you know, if you get a five star review, it could you know, make you like the toast of the show or, or toast of the festival. Yeah. And if a critic didn't like your show, it could kind of derail it pretty quickly. Right. right. So it d- doesn't work here. Right. Yeah. Nobody cares what critics have to say here. I'm so, so- sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I never really consider myself a critic per se. Yeah, same. 
Um, I critique by omission. I feel like you probably do do close to that. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. And I always preferred doing more like larger profiles where right. you learn who this comedian is in the context for creating their material and, right. you know, figure out like, oh no, this is a person up and coming who I should know and, and follow. Um, and those stories that I did were always like two or three years ahead of time and never really got uh, like it was always my curse to be to try and pitch editors. Now this person is great. They're gonna be huge. I swear to God. Right. Um, and that was like, yeah, I did that with Michael Che and Bridget Everett and Amy right. Schumer and uh, Pete Davidson. I remember I had this like kind of mm -hmm. premonition about him one weekend i'm like i think i need to pitch the village voice of pete davidson story that's like <laughs> yeah he's he's i think he's gonna be somebody and literally like that monday he was announced for snl <laughs> i'm like what the fuck right yeah well i mean as it, it, as you well know if you're out watching comedy all the time you know you you know yeah. who it is mm-hmm Mm -hmm. you know who it is punky johnson at the comedy store everybody knew mm -hmm. she was gonna have something she it was just so undeniable even like and she doesn't even have material per se that much it's just she's such right. an undeniable presence oh, so it's yeah. not it wasn't a surprise to anybody at all when she right. got snl I, I was always, I always laughed like you know as gerard was getting everything that he got um when he did stand up um, people would tell you, have you heard about Gerard? And like, <laughs> <laughs> or they would say, Jared, do you know Jared Carmichael? Jared. Like, um, <laughs> I know him enough to say Gerard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's people, I mean, uh, you, um, you know that I, did I tell you this? That I like facilitate vultures, like comedians, you should will know list. Uh, I think I knew you always like did. It, but I don't, I didn't know you facilitated it. I, so I don't like, okay. I don't have final say everybody. Jesus. Uh, it would be great if I did, but, um, yeah, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people, so <laughs> I, it, we take this sort of, you know, widespread survey and, uh, it's especially when it comes to like hardcore industry people, like network people, it's so funny how out of touch they can be sometimes where there's like um, <laughs> literally somebody told me like Nicole Byer <laughs> who's been on like a billboard for the that's last hilarious. year yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. different things. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. even, we even had that like with, with too soon of trying to pitch it to distributors of none of them knew like what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> So we got no's from everybody, but Vice, uh, and, it, yeah. and it at the you know when we were creating it, just seemed like such a no brainer to me. Right. Yeah. But even as much as we think comedy coverage has exploded, like that's just us in our little right comedy cave, and mm -hmm. yeah, the real world, like you're saying, network you know, the industry people, executives, like don't have a clue what's actually happening or good. Right. And Except for the ones who give me jobs, they're all <laughs> excellent. They're all on top of the ball. Right, 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 right. Which and, is, and they I should mean, keep it coming. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's a pretty good list. You know, you, you got you've written for some very very uh, uh, well respected um, uh, publish uh, publishers and whatnot. Publications. Uh, yeah, publications. Oh man, that was that was fitting there at the end of that. So sorry. <laughs> um, next news item. Jesus Amaro is renewed for uh, season four, Flatbush Misdemeanors renewed for se- season two, and an adaptation of the movie The Wood is uh, ordered as a pilot, um, all at Showtime. So yeah, that's uh, it, it's Showtime. I feel like have been lagging for a few years behind like HBO and Netflix in terms of their comedy programming, but it seems like. I don't know if they hired somebody new or not. I bet they did, but they've really stepped it, stepped it up in the last year or two. Um, giving yeah, somebody... they had like the comedy store doc. Yeah, um, they had the comedy store doc. They had. But a... then, then again, they also turned us down. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Oh, it was like you were the Dick Gregory documentary, right? The Dick Gregory one. Um, yeah. They have one on tabloid news coming up, which has nothing to do with comedy, but I gravitate towards that personally. Right. Oh, like the Weekly World News. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a Rupert Murdochy. Um, I don't remember. It might just be called a tabloid or something. But right. again, having nothing to do with comedy. Right, right, right. But uh, yeah, they they picked up Jesus Samiro for the fourth season after they um, we had spent some time advice, and uh, they gave Z-Way their her own show. And um, after you know being, I think the best slash most popular thing on instagram live over the pandemic and uh flatbush misdemeanors to uh new york comedians like doing like you know a straight up sitcom about their lives mm-hmm. uh and the, the wood yeah it's it's uh i mean more adaptations of things that we knew about right why why should we ever stop doing that <laughs> why should we ever make anything original ever again but uh, yeah, it's definitely a much more beefed up comedy programming than they used to have. Um, and I wonder how far that's going to go. And, you know, is it going to stay true to this? Definitely feels like they have an identity versus like Netflix. I feel like their comedy used there, especially with stand up, used to have some sort of identity. And then and now it's just everything mm-hmm. all over the place. Let's and, you know. They'll probably get back to this pace, but pre-lockdown, it was like new special every every week, maybe even two. Right, right. I was just, um, it's not about Netflix, but I was just kind of remembering a little bit how, um, as you were saying, Showtime's going to be trying to compete a little bit more with HBO. Like in the 80s, in the original comedy boom, that was definitely the case too. Um, like stand-up comedy kind of, had all of that presence everywhere because like the rise of cable at the exact same time and for a while there hbo and showtime were like neck and neck on comedy programming and yeah definitely fell off for a while but right if they can pull it off the to make it more competitive um more power to them and all the comedians they can showcase yeah was a and e in that horse race with the evening at the improv? evening of the improv yeah there was like caroline's comedy hour right. mtv had all that stuff um 
If you were a comedy fan, go try to find all the episodes of Enemy at the Improv. I think they're streaming somewhere. You will be blown away that you will see Michael Keaton do stand-up, uh, Ron Perlman do stand-up. So many people who never ended up doing stand-up ever again, like, but became famous for something else. Tom, um, um, what's his last name? Biff on Back to the Future. Oh, the uh, Tom, uh, that guy. He was a big stand up at that time. Right. And he he returned to it for a little bit. I think he did Meltdown at one point. Huh. Wow. I I would imagine he's like too tall to be in that in that ceiling of that little teeny tiny four four foot tall being John Malkovich room. Right, right, right. That's now a hole. It's a big old oh, yeah. commerce, <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. Oh it's going to be what shops and condos. And yeah, know, I drive We're, by that a, a ton and it's very sad all the time. It's very, very sad. Just like, well, I know Amoeba survived, but the building now that it, I mean, the, the building it used to be housed in is being used for the Van Gogh exhibit, the Van Gogh oh, experience. No. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which I also feel conflicted about because I don't know if Van Gogh would like, it's not, it's, it's recontextualizing his work, but I don't know if Van Gogh would like it. Well, Van Gogh like wasn't even, you know, he was broke his entire life, much like freelance journalists are. And he didn't have any success until he was dead. So I don't know if he'd give a fuck or not. (laughs) Like, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? He would maybe accept any <laughs> exhibit but also uh you know the the idea of being immersed into what we think his brain was like is probably right. not all that great a trip because by all accounts he you know it wasn't a great place to be right 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 no i mean uh i think two or three biopics have shown that he was not well yeah eating paint and, and all that stuff let alone the whole cutting the ear off but yeah that was just the tip of the iceberg yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. we're gonna turn uh, this into like a comedy art mashup podcast <laughs> <laughs> cool i mean man. bring out brent weinbach again to <laughs> yep yeah sure some sort of artistic expression mm-hmm. oh yeah we'll try to get a i'll i'll uh, have Hannah Gatsby zoom in and she'll give us a breakdown. <laughs> I actually um, loved that about her special and I don't care what I, anybody thinks. I love the, the deconstructing I comedy. I really, really, really did. I really, really did. And I hope she, I don't know, like does it for like more contemporary art. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Coming up. Cause I, but I love going to art museums and part of it is like seeing how, out of touch some of the art is like <laughs> for what the intention is you read the caption and you're like oh but that doesn't i'm not getting that from this right yeah well it's all it, it that takes us back again to the argument about like what is a comedian's intention in mm-hmm. delivering a joke versus how we perceive it as an audience member right yeah and what what the divide is and how the context can be misconstrued. Right. I mean, it, it, it's never going to be a hundred percent, like a hundred, a hundred percent clear. You know, there's always going to be a chance that someone with their own baggage, you know, their experiences, their 
mores, their feelings are they're you know, watching something that they're not going to like it or possibly be offended. I mean, for a while, like I, I like in this time, if I were to hear somebody say like, you know, even ironically, guys, don't you just like miss quarantine? I would get like upset. Cause like, I just went through such a terrible, <laughs> terrible time. And that was like very triggering. And, but I would never like say that they couldn't say that. It's just exactly. like, that, that's yeah. my feeling about it. And also when you take, you know, I, I, I always have a bone to pick with online journalism that will say, you know, this comic said this and here's the sentence they said, but you don't have the inflection. Like right. you can't ever tell any rape joke. It, it's, you know, right. it's terrible. But like, if you listen to a, a joke that is about the topic of rape, that is actually anti-rape, which it should be, right. then what are you actually saying in your piece? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if it's a, a, an account from a survivor mm-hmm. who wants to share their experience as a way to not only heal themselves, but make other survivors feel less alone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the whole, you can't, you can't dictate what people can think about certain jokes. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I- <laughs> last, last news item and back to, back to nine 11. Um, it is it is a uh, a Brody Stevens Day has been declared. Um, yes, yes. Positive energy, <laughs> you got it. Uh huh. Perhaps I don't know. I feel like he might end up being, when all is said and done, the most impersonated comedian. Who knows? Because it's so easy to do, Brody. It's not. Yeah. You don't have to be like all that talented. So the city of Los Angeles declares, uh, even though the day has already passed, uh, August 18th, because that spells out 818. 818 till I die. Yep. Uh, as Brody Stevens Day here in the great city of Los Angeles uh, to honor the late comedian. He does have his own dedicated bench um, in the city of Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. And uh we all miss Brody uh, dearly, and it is sad uh, that he is—he uh, passed away so tragically. But uh, I mean, <laughs> what do you think about a day honoring Brody, um, <laughs> Julie? I'm glad that uh, the city kind of decided to establish this is going to be the one day for Brody because right. there's been like there's his birthday, there's the day he died, there's the 818 day, and. Right. Um, there was even like a couple other ones thrown in there. Um, right. and I just remember like, which is the day, what, which one's going to be Brody day. Right. Um, not that we shouldn't celebrate him every chance we get, right. but it's just kind of confusing to like, I can't, I don't, I don't know what to do four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> if we're <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he was always a fun guy and, and you never knew what you were going to get. with him on stage um and he just like would kind of put it all out there right um in a way that equally um amused and baffled people right (laughs) in in equal measures Um, truly the only comedian i've enjoyed seeing do do warm-up 
Right. Yeah. He was like renowned for his warm up stuff. He did like all kinds of different shows, like sports stuff to Chelsea lately and everything in between. And I kind of remember, um, I never knew him when he was in New York. That was a little bit before my time, but Mm -hmm. um, hung out with him in Boston and Grand Rapids, Michigan for the, uh, the laugh fest that they do every year. And Vegas when HBO had the comedy festival year and of course at the store Mm -hmm. and it was just it was nice to there was something just kind of comforting about his presence like if Brody's here Mm -hmm. this is this is a community comedy show and he was actually I was remembering this very very recently I think he was actually the first person who told me I had to go see Roast Battle wow I think I was at um when Jeremiah Watkins had his, uh, what's the name of that show? I forget. Um, was it Stand Up on the Spot? Oh, it, uh, maybe. I think it was Stand Up at the Spot at the Three Clubs. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to see that show and, you know, all the comics hang out in the back alley there. And I'm pretty sure that's where Brody first told me I had to right. go see Rose Battle. And so that would have been like late- 2013 or early 2014 right yeah but at the the time i was also you know everybody as you get this too i'm sure uh everyone's like oh you gotta go see this new show it's so great it's like yeah whatever i've seen all the shows (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's why i mean like truly i i do get that a lot and as a result of that that's why i ended up spending a lot of time in my uh before lockdown at lyric hyperion because there, there were shows that were like, I have no idea what this is. What is this, guys? Can you explain this to me again? <laughs> Probably it's... not, no. Yay. <laughs> Wait, so this is you all... You gotta see it to understand it. Right. You're uh, So everybody's doing a different cold open of Cheers. That's <laughs> what this show is? Okay, cool. And not everybody knows what Cheers is, including the people who read it? Great. Yeah. Yeah, but I and that, that was kind of similar with roast battle too, of like people insulting each other and there's yelling and screaming and chanting and jumping around and there's a DJ and I'm like, what? That doesn't sound good. And then oh I my. finally, and then you finally go and it's like, oh my god, it's packed to the rafters and standing right. room only and sweaty and yep, there's Brody up there being a judge. And yeah, I just remember that was kind of a like mm-hmm. real revelatory, like oh, this show is going places right i wish that showtime documentary credited roast battle a little bit more for the resurgence of the store oh my god i had so <laughs> i'm not gonna get as in-depth okay no but hey my, this is a platform you want to take documentary a documentary as i could <laughs> let's just say that that one of the issues i had with it <sighs> no just one of the issues i had with it was the fact right. that they had joe rogan coming back to the store before roast battle chronologically in that film which wasn't how it happened his first time back was at roast battle jeff ross was right. like no you've got to go to this and they kind of credited him for like and then he brought everybody back it's like no at the time right it was actually roast battle right that was filling it was you know this ridiculous tuesday open mic night where anything goes and then right. all of a sudden when they added structure to the show and the rules and Jeff came on board. Uh, 
it was like selling out these late Tuesday shows. And right. if you, if you couldn't get into that, then you'd go to the other ones. But right. within five years, it was all over the world and all all kinds of international television yeah. versions. And um, yeah, I just remember it uh, at the time, like just so uh diy organic crazy like no one ever knew anything that was going to happen which was not necessarily the case with most stand-up shows that are just kind of here's me talking to an audience right 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 you do literally have to like, do you know about stamp town at all uh not as much as i should but like yeah the- yeah that that is the, the latest show where it's like yeah i don't know what i don't know i mean zach has something planned but i don't i don't really know what right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he actually goes out of his way. To, well, I won't say out of his way, but he like makes sure there are just pure standups on there as like a palate cleanser to like all the insanity he has on that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, it's kind of like playing with the format too. Right. If you think about what viewers are going to expect and sort of mess with those expectations, right. build on it or whatever, bring a unique take to it, you're always going to have a little bit more right. success. Yeah, absolutely. But back to Brody, what I, I, I will never forget how Zach Galifianakis described him um, as a, a jock doing performance art. <laughs> right. And that's why he's so, so funny. <laughs> and uh, I, if there was a, I, I was like describing his crowd work as like, they're, it's like there's a conspiracy theory with the audience and he's trying to solve it Mm. because like you're from this town and you played on this high school baseball well this person is over the next town over so how about that (laughs) (laughs) i just like the 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 drumming on the The drumming for like no reason of i'm gonna drum now Mm -hmm. i actually have um it's uh we're not we haven't quite signed the contract yet but i think we're in good enough shape to be able to say it um so i had my hedberg sirius xm special last year yeah uh hope on top a mitch hedberg oral history mm-hmm. um it looks like i'm going to be doing one of those on brody too for sirius xm awesome. coming up as soon as i'm done with the too soon stuff that'll be Right. One of the ones moving from the back burner to the front burner. And I'm really excited to jump into that. That's great. Are you going to have an audio montage of a bunch of comedians going, yes, <laughs> probably. I don't, <laughs> um, it looks like we're going to be able to use uh, periscopes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's For a little those who Don't even re- remember <laughs> before all the other live streaming, man, Periscope missed its chance. If it came when lockdown happened, it would be perfect. But mm-hmm. no, it didn't. Periscope was Twitter's live stream platform um, years before we needed it. Right. And uh, Brody Stevens used it quite a bit. He was the prince of Periscope. He was the prince of Periscope. You Periscope himself on live shows. Yeah, and that's exactly the kind of stuff like getting him in front of a crowd without any, you know, right. narrative filler. Um, right. That'll be, the, I, I think, very heavily relied on. Again, it might change, but that's right. the plan at the moment. Right. I love that you love the drumming because the drumming is, it's on a chair. It's not, he could have access to a drum kit. 
but no, no, nope, nope. And it's just so, you can't even hear the drumming. It's just him tapping with some sticks on a chair and, you know, he would have, have the tech play some music and not even on a bucket. Like there's acoustically, there's a reason that the, those street drummers use buckets, (laughs) but no, just a chair. Yeah. And I think for me, the, a big part of doing a oral history project on him is going to be like, what, how, how would you describe his appeal? Mm-hmm. because it's less really about his jokes because they were kind of the same all the time and not even necessarily jokes per se. And he wouldn't necessarily do them all the time. Sometimes he would just like tell you about his day. Yeah. He, he by most definitions would not be considered a stand-up comedian. And yet <laughs> Right. We're now we're having Brody Stevens Day. So right. I, I want to explore like how how is that the case? Why is why was he so beloved and not just about like, oh my God, he had a, like the Hedberg thing was all these classic jokes and he was so funny and this is how right. he wrote them. I think that'll be less the case for Brody and more just like the presence that yeah. he brought to the community and what it's missing now that he's gone right i mean the one of the only people that i'm okay with wearing shorts on stage (laughs) right everybody else you're not allowed no yeah he he was the exception to a lot of rules i think (laughs) yeah 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 i mean there's just something so dynamic and i mean it's probably akin to like that you know, Gaulier school of clowning, like what they teach there with like getting laughs and engaging with just movement, you know, which is so much presence um, and not really focusing on like, you know, the, the cleverness of whatever you wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It was just about him kind of being fearless no matter what. And at the, and not only in like, for the audience but also for himself in a lot of ways oh yeah because you didn't really realize when he was saying yes positive energy that it was kind of more talking to himself right you know like we now understand a lot more about his mental issues and uh, yeah just he spent a lot of time pumping himself up right right and in different aspects and just kind of the stage was more or less like an extension of what right. was already going on in his head. Right. And whether intentioned or not, he ended up pumping up a lot of other people as well. For sure. Yeah. Just, it was so fun to be around. Just like he did have that positive energy. Um, yeah. And yet at the same time, whenever people were, sort of shocked that he killed himself it's like well maybe you didn't know him as well as you <laughs> thought you did because for it it i i personally wasn't all that hugely shocked i mean it was massively tragic but yeah. i can't say that it was a surprise yeah i think a lot of people and especially la comedy i mean yeah it was very tragic but it didn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He had a long history, which was well documented. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, he had a stint in a in in a psych ward or a mental ward. 
right? And all the all the changing the meds and all of yeah. Yeah, which you would have heard about if you went and saw them live. Right. And <laughs> a lot of that is is in the periscopes. Right, right. Um, well, next August 18th, uh, join in in celebrating Brody Stevens Day, whether you're in LA or not. And also uh, shout out to uh, Mauricio Alvarado, who runs Rockin' Pins, that company. He's the guy who actually like got that bench put up in Reseda Park. And you can buy his Brody pins via Rockin' yeah. Pin. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's like the biggest Brody fan I've ever met. So he should have some credit for helping with that legacy, too. Awesome. I will try to find a link to that and put it in the show notes. Um, so that brings us back to Too Soon. Comedy after 9-11. You know, given the everything that is happening in the last, let's say, month, two months, um, or the last year in regards to our exit from Afghanistan and COVID, how are you feeling about the doc coming out now versus like when you plan to have it come out, like, I don't know, a year or two years ago? Well, we kind of did always actually plan to have it come out for the 20th anniversary. Right. No, you um, that, for sure. Yeah. Just because like, if we don't, then we're going to be making it forever <laughs> and interviewing every single comedian. Right. Um, yeah. So we started it in, spring of 2016 and by we you mean you. we is uh my co-director nick scown who's an actual filmmaker mm-hmm. um he, we met at the wedding of a mutual friend who used to be a comic no longer a comic um but yeah you're you sit at the table and you talk about so what do you do how do you know the person and uh, a couple months after that, he invited me to lunch at Hugo's and was like, I have this idea for a documentary I've always wanted to do. And he explained how he had actually been uh, scheduled to visit NYU film schools the same week as 9-11 and ended up going anyway once the flight started again. Mm-hmm. And he never actually made it to the film schools he was going to look at. He just spent time with friends and kind of talked about where they were at and people they lost. And as he's going back to his return flight, uh, the subways were closed down at the World Trade Center, obviously. And he had to get up and kind of walk on the sidewalk to connect with a different subway. And so he saw the big hole and all the smoke and all the workers firsthand and couldn't like really comprehend what he was seeing um so it kind of was like taking pictures of it and always held on to him and then when he got home the onion issue the first the 9-11 issue was waiting for him and he remembered it being the first time he ever laughed again so that was sort of the long long-term genesis for it and then right. when he kind of pitched that idea to me i was like this idea is brilliant <laughs> I'm going to jump in on this with you. Right. Uh, it's just for laughs in two months. We're going to get you a ticket. And we, yeah, we started filming at Just for Laughs 2016. Wow. Um, and pretty quickly realized we had to narrow it down to 
either people who did specific 9-11 material or were personally affected by it. Right. Because um, then, it, again, then we're never going to stop talking to people if we right. let every comedian in on it. Right. And for a good four years, it was literally just the two of us. I kind of called in every comedian favor I had mm-hmm. um, and sort of dealt with, I did more of the interview stuff and transcripts and paper cut side of things. And Nick actually made it into a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, was very patient with me not knowing any technical terms or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got connected with Pulse Films, who did the history of comedy and mm-hmm. you know a bunch of good, more music documentaries, uh, they did like the LCD sound system and Nick Cave and um, all those kind of uh, Beastie Boys. They did the Beastie Boys story. Um, and they in turn connected us with Hazy Mills. So Sean Hayes, of will and grace fame is an executive producer and then uh we were still shopping it around last year during Mm -hmm. pandemic uh doing these zoom meetings and everybody said no (laughs) why (laughs) because they because they didn't get it or it was too controversial or whatever oh it's controversial oh it's controversial now wow i mean well there's there's definitely um it's it's kind of uh aristocrats-esque in terms of naughty yeah. language i i mean i could see that a bit but like you know what's interesting is that gilbert joke now is so like arguably tame mm-hmm. but at the time if you're doing it uh what, what was it 17 days later or not even not yeah. even not even uh, um which was ironically also the same night as the first snl back so right. it's an interesting juxtaposition of snl's being very safe and evergreen and five blocks away you have Gilbert causing an uproar (laughs) in the Hilton ballroom right 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 (laughs) yeah um yeah so just the idea of we knew we kind of wanted to make this goal of the 20th anniversary um as a way of not only showing um you know, kind of a recent U.S. history aspect to it because there's tons of comedy fans now who don't remember 9-11. No. And they're not, they are not going to know what that time was like before social media and, oh. um, you know, what was basically just comedy clubs where you had to get your entertainment from. Um, so there's the history aspect. There's comedy philosophy. There's social psychology. Mm-hmm. Um yeah and i'm just also at the same time very glad to almost be done with all of this after five long years (laughs) (laughs) and move on to other exciting innovative projects right right (laughs) um but did you i mean did you have like some idea of like what it would be like coming up to the 20th anniversary that got changed because of the pandemic and now, like, the Taliban taking over Afghanistan again? Has that changed anything for you? Um, we obviously didn't know the Taliban thing was going to happen. Well, to, and nor did we know COVID was going to happen. Right. But, um, yeah, the thing with pandemic is we kind of at first thought, oh, no, it's going to totally derail 
kind of what we want to try to do for post-production and release because all the film festivals mm -hmm. were going to be shut down obviously right um but then we kind of realized there were actually a lot more parallels between what was happening now and what happened then with you know the comedy clubs closing right and we're all sitting here kind of thinking what is going on i don't know what to, how to react to this just yeah. a lot of anxiety and certainty about what the future is going to hold i and... often said it was 9-11 every day <laughs> <laughs> like in march and april that's what it felt like See, and that's too soon. 9-11 every day. You wouldn't have been able to say that at, at the time of 9-11, no. actually. Yeah. yeah. But people like needed something to get out of their heads. Right. So you turned to comedy. In this case, it was more um, the Zoom shows and the parking lot stuff. Um, as opposed to back then, it was when The Daily Show was coming into its own. Right um lead up to the iraq war that kind of thing so yeah we we definitely did find a universal sort of timeless mm -hmm. parallel to both of them that i think is ultimately going to work out pretty well in our favor in I the think. film's favor rather i think so too yeah i mean uh i but there's something that's feels like more prolonged about now I mean, especially for the, like, you know, it, it, um, in the documentary, you point out that uh, pretty immediately, everyone is told back to, to go back to normal and like go to shows, do things. And we have been prohibited from that. And then maybe we're allowed a little bit back. Oh, but no, 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 with that too much. Now, nope, nope, there's the Delta variant. No, nope, we can't do that. And now, I mean, a bunch of big time concerts are getting shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and then that is arguably even more political because it, now it's become like a vaccination issue. Um, right. And I mean, I mentioned SF Sketchfest is being, um, is, everyone has to be vaccinated. A lot of big comedians that are doing international tours right now, they're requiring proof of vaccination for all their dates. Um, and some performers or some people, they don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I was just remembering, um, what you're saying, get back to it of like, but go shopping, buy, buy some jeans and go to Disneyland. And <laughs> I mean, a lot of that stuff has less to do with, uh, the politicians caring about your mental health state and more right. about it's economic, it's the commercialism, it's, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. As much as they want to gussy it up as like, <laughs> of course, normalcy. Right, right. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, um, uh, the obviously Broadway shows and comedy clubs and, and TV production got back on track after 9-11 a bit sooner than COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just an interesting like, mm. And this and this situation goes on and on. It's mm -hmm. something that I've, I think we already like said this, but you know, it's universal. It's timeless. It's something that is going to happen. You know, there's always going to be tragedy, and comedy is always going to be something we use to move on from it. Right. right. No matter what it is, whatever form, whatever form it takes. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you in my experience, like the first in-person shows that I got to see, I would get 
really like peeved if most of the comics on the bill did not talk about COVID in some way. Even if it was just like, oh, I, you know, I wasn't ever supposed to spend this much time with my wife. I mean, I love her, but not like that much or whatever it is. But just an acknowledgement that you went through this time like like we all did, which I mean, I don't know if there's another event in human history where almost 8 billion people went through at the same time. Gosh, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those, um, you know, Gilbert Godfrey is famous for, as are all comics, but him in particular, you get you have to address the elephant in the room. You know, if if the entire audience is kind of feeling the same way or thinking the same thing and you don't bring it up, right. it, you know, then you're kind of missing that opportunity to what, you know, the thing I like about being in the room of the, the interaction is only a one time thing. Every night, every show is going to be different. Right. And you have to kind of make the audience feel at ease or else, you know, have them know that you know right. that they're all sort of preoccupied with this thing right. or else why are they going to trust you to follow you into other material? Right. Uh, similar to how you uh, conducted your interviews for Too Soon, uh, coming after 9-11, is there a favorite COVID joke you've heard? <laughs> It's funny, we actually got approached about doing a too soon COVID movie. (laughs) (laughs) And is it really too soon for that? Well, (laughs) like, there's two things. Well, there's three things, actually, that I had three responses to this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one was the idea of nobody has said it's too soon. There's there were so many COVID jokes. Like there was, no one got canceled for COVID jokes. What are you talking about? So that doesn't even apply. Right. Um, Number two would be the fact that we're still in it. We have no idea how this ends. No, we don't. (laughs) Whereas with too soon comedy after 9-11, you know, it's this, it's, it's this arc of time right? from point A to point B. um, And I'm not going to like spoil what the end is, but you, you, you've seen it and you kind of know where we left off that I, in a way that I think comes full circle really well. Right. 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 Um, So it's like, we can't pitch a movie and like start shooting it and, and know what it's going to be like if we're still in the middle of it. Yeah. I I think two interesting things, if you ever end up doing it um, there, one of the comedy clubs that was uh, went like fully digital or virtual they, I, I over, I, I heard that they would tell comics to not bring up COVID because people are tired of it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, because yeah. they're tired of it. They're tired. So, yeah. With 9-11, it was like, it's upsetting. Right. And which I guess, yes, COVID has obviously been upsetting, but it's more boredom factor, I guess. And, um, uh, and but then I, like, I, oh, good. Oh, I was going to say one of the, Sam Varela's, Comedy Quarantine IG live stream. The very first one was like this like big fundraiser uh, for Ground Game LA and it had a bunch of comics on. And I remember Adam Conover went up and he didn't even do a set. He was just like, I just talked to somebody who is like a professor of medicine at like Stanford or Harvard or something. And he said, if we do everything correct, 
everything. Best case scenario, year and a half. And then he just left. He like signed. That was that was it. And we were all like, everybody else had been doing kind of jokes or stories up until that point. And then it just cut to Barbara Gray and, and it was like, wait, what? what? <laughs> Almost like when they cut to Mike Myers after Kanye was like, George Bush hates black people. <laughs> it was right. that vibe. Well, the third the third reaction I had to the idea of too soon comedy after COVID was like the the idea of doing a documentary about 9-11 comedy is very unique and has a has more of a right. um there's like there, there's a reason um to do it in a way that makes a lot of sense again historically philosophy psychological yeah, like sort of stuff right. um but it's like everybody knows that we turned to comedy in covid like right. that's pretty freaking obvious yeah you know everyone everyone saw the Chappelle. Uh, what was it, 846 yeah. um everyone watched the uh comedy gives back everybody watched inside thing. Yeah, Ted, Ted Lasso, it's not stand-up comedy, but every, like we know it's not a stretch to say we used comedy to get through this time. Yeah, I think a more interesting angle, if that's what they want to go with, is like, um, you remember that docuseries Modern Comedian? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Of just seeing like, I mean, this is kind of, you know, the genesis of this podcast of like, what are people even doing right now? You know, I, my first guest was Ian Abramson because he decided to do SNL all by himself on Twitch when he had previously not known how to do Twitch. Uh-huh. I remember just... I, I watched those. That was so great when he had like the, he had the green screen and he like was trying he had to his, like he had his, his face painted one half for one character and then the other <laughs> half for another character and would just turn around to yeah. have a conversation. My favorite. He was like at his parents' house, obviously, and they have their family cat and he was going to do Toonses, the driving cat. Uh-huh. And just like grabbing it and forcing it to stay in his lap as he's wearing a green screen suit. And the cat's <laughs> just like scratching him and trying to get away and then it runs down the hall. And it's like, Toonses, the driving cat. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, there were so many, like, because people had to get really creative and i mean are you, i i think like basically had to envision what comedy would be like in 15 years and do that in like a week right yeah gosh yeah i and i did again i didn't watch as much on less on life's online stuff as i could have because i was finishing you know the movie and right. working on the promo stuff and all that but yeah the stuff i saw, it, saw was always if you could play with the format a little bit, that's always going to be so much more gripping. Oh yeah, than, than just straight stand up to a screen and you can't hear any laughter and get any response. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just yeah. part of part of the um, ever evolving, ever changing wide world of comedy that we're just, you know, mm-hmm. lucky to be a small part of. viewing from the sidelines appreciating it trying to tell other people oh you mentioned this to me uh pre-pod um too soon counting after 9-11 was not the original title uh what was 
Yeah, when we started it in earlier 2016, when no one thought Trump was going to win, it was like too soon how comedy healed the country after 9-11 or something like that. <laughs> and then what a hopeful title. Yeah, we're healed. We did it. And then Trump was elected and we're like, um, don't think we're super healed, really. Right. <laughs> um, nope. Yeah. Uh, and then it was too soon comedy after no too soon the comedy of 9-11 which was my favorite version because it's supposed to be the tragedy of 9-11 so it's ironic that you're calling it the comedy of 9-11 and the other level is obviously it is literally jokes about 9-11 so it was a wordplay thing that i liked and then when we got hazy mills on board and sean hayes was helping us pitch it he changed it to the healing power of comedy after 9-11. Yeah. You were not a fan of that title. Too soon, the healing power of comedy after 9-11. That's a lot. That's That's a lot of words. Too soon, the healing power of comedy after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, Which was going to be the real title and we kind of didn't like it, but it did. It was a little too literal also the same time right like it's about the healing power of comedy after 9-11 but also that's not that's short selling your documentary because it's more more than just about the it it does cover that but it covers a lot more yeah 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 for sure so now it's comedy after 9-11 which i didn't like as much as the comedy of 9-11 because it kind of implies that it's all comedy Mm -hmm. after 9-11 which is not accurate at all either no but it's shorter than the healing power of comedy after 9-11. <laughs> so. Right. And, you know, Sean Hayes is, is Sean Hayes. And I'm, I'm not going to turn down that last iteration. So that's what it's going to be when it airs on Vice September 8th and screens mm-hmm. at the Chinese Theater on September 11th. Oh, really? Wow. Is that like a screen that people can buy tickets to or is that going to be like a premiere invite only? It is. It is public. It's part of the Dances with Films Festival. Okay, cool. Um, It's at 2.30 in the afternoon, so it's a matinee. So if you have like evening 9-11 party plans, you can still make it. Sure. (laughs) Right. If you're going to your 9-11 festivities. Yeah, Um, and you might because, my God, 9-11 this year is on a Saturday and there are so many live comedy shows that are happening on (laughs) 9-11, including an evening with Hampton Yunt, who loves making 9-11 jokes so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, there's a ton of, like, he's another one of those comics. We had to, we interviewed a lot of people who we had to cut out just for, like, time's sake. Uh, Mm -hmm. Joe DeRosa, Kurt Metzger, Right. Sam Tripoli. Um, I wanted them all in there. Couldn't quite yeah. make it happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, um, yeah, if you've never been to the Hollywood theater and there we'll have some of the cast members there and I have to talk at the end and me and Nick are doing a Q and a. Right. Oh, so, I love how you said that, Julie. I have to talk at the end. You know, I've always been more on the writer side of things and not Mm -hmm. so much in uh, for getting up in front of people. Yeah, but you're very strong in your opinions and you're very well spoken. So I I think that's all that you really need. (laughs) And address and like 
somebody do my hair because I don't know how to do any girly. I don't know how to do hair, makeup. I can barely uh-huh. dress myself, but boy, I can talk about comedy all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm happy to give referrals. <laughs> <laughs> so, so show up and see what my dress or I don't know, <laughs> see what I'm wearing. Uh huh. It'll, it'll be a surprise to me, probably. <laughs> can't wait can't wait <laughs> red carpet uh, the whole nine yards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is it going to stream anywhere after that it'll be repeating on vice for i i don't know the entire time span but for a while mm-hmm. and they have an app and they have uh whatever they're i i don't even have cable anymore so they have those all those little on-demand things mm-hmm. um that i should probably uh, familiarize myself a little bit more before I try to talk about it like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just say that it's the uh, on-demand after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably the websites and all that. Um, <laughs> I'm digging myself into a, into a promotional hole. But check it out. Check it out on Vice and at the Chinese Theater on September 11th. Um, but then also, yeah, hopefully secondary. Mm-hmm. markets are always an option but we're not quite at that point yet sure i yeah. do know there are there will be an international version because we had to have four more minutes of content for international than there is for the domestic version i don't really understand why but there's a little bit more of uh we have air america in the international version mm-hmm. the radio uh you know uh, when Liz Winstead put together like Mark Marin and Janine Garofalo and right. Chuck D and Al Franken, and they had a progressive network um, right. around the time of, I, I guess it was started late 2003, early 2004 for the right. second Bush Jr. elections. Uh, not in the current American version, but if you live elsewhere around the world, uh, you can get a little bit more of a Mark Marin fix that way. Yeah, and see the the old slash still the same Marin. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he um, these days he's like, yeah, I didn't like doing really any of that political stuff that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, but that's what you yeah. were known for at that time. Right. Yeah, but. Well, I think there was a notice when this has to be funny came out. That I think was like a pointed pivot for him to like because it was all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And how, and he like took a step back from his Air America days. But I haven't seen him lately, but from what I understand of people who have seen him lately, like he gets political, but it's in the sphere of comedy. Yeah, it's more as it relates to him. Yeah, (laughs) of of course, of course. You know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's definitely... I mean, I still wouldn't call it political stuff in his current material. He definitely addresses, you know, when Trump was president. But again, it's more on a, oh, God, we're all going to die kind of way. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, I really loved how he opened his special. It was not the last one, but maybe it was the last one or the one before that where he's like, I don't know what to do about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Was that? That must have been in times fun, right? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those four years were really, really long. Yeah. I mean, 
to me and it and it seems like it's different for you but like the trump presidency was a bit more um traumatic for me than covid mm-hmm. pandemic quarantining was right. just for uh probably had something to do with the fact that i work from home anyway so working from home wasn't a big deal to me but yeah, yeah just the ongoing onslaught of twitter chaos and Oh, don't worry. I felt that too. I just, yeah, I mean, you know, we're near the end. So I just quick bullet points. Like I almost died from appendicitis and I went through the first breakup of my whole life. Um, I was stuck with a roommate who we, yeah, we weren't like really friends. And now I'm like kind of her psychotherapist and, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was everything comedy and wise and globally and all that. And, uh, you know, I'm an out and out extrovert. So it was like a personally designed nightmare for me. So that was- At least uh, you got that great desk. I do have that great desk. (laughs) It is so much more decorated now. I spent so much time like putting, if I have to stick around here, at least I want to look nice. (laughs) Yeah. But that is that that's why it was, uh, that was a little more traumatic for me. But Mm. definitely I did not, I mean, my, both my parents voted for Trump twice, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, mine are very, very, very conservative. Um, my, my brother visited back at the farm at one point before the re-election and, uh, or no, not really, but before, uh, okay, so I got it. It was before uh, our last election. Uh, time is meaningless these days. I can't keep track of anything. Uh, and he sent me this picture uh, from the old farmhouse where he's like, I went out to, to check the grapes in the backyard. He's growing grapes. He likes to make homemade wine. Right. And mom's like, make sure you take a hat. Here, here's one to keep the sun off of you. And he, sh- he sends me this picture. He's wearing a camouflage. Uh-huh. Keep America great 2020. Ooh. hat <laughs> she gave him to like Oof. oh yeah yeah i uh, we don't talk about politics at all or religion mm-hmm. or much of anything really yeah yeah i feel that very hard uh and unfortunately my sister is becoming even more right-wing than my parents because she she's a anti-vaxxer my parents are they're like well, yeah covid's real and get vaccinated we think it's overblown but like yeah, same, same for mine. Do the do the thing. My sister, uh, I had to uh, because she decided to grace her uh, us, my family, with her presence from Arizona this past week. I had to not bring up vaccination to her, her and, and her anti-vax girlfriend for their comfort. Huh. So, that's that's an interesting juxtaposition of yeah, uh, so positions just, to take. <laughs> a cold distant asshole a cold socially distant asshole to them the whole time (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. it's been very much a not good time Mm. well i didn't i didn't realize any of that was happening with you but on behalf of all other comedy journalism types we're we're glad you pulled through (laughs) thank you thank you yeah, I mean, I don't know who's watching my Instagram stories, but that was the extent of me <laughs> being in the ER because it was all a blur. I was like, drove myself at Saturday at four in the morning to a, to a very surreal, uh, empty ER 
and uh, was admitted in 10 minutes and I was out of there by 2 p.m. We just like took it out. But had I waited any longer, I very realistically would have died. Oh, man. And then we would have had like Comedy Bureau Day in Los Angeles. (laughs) You get a bench dedicated to you or more like a hat store. A hat, a hat yeah. store dedicated to you? Yeah, yeah. Go, it, it, have Gorham Brothers have like one store de- dedicated to me or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, any any number of my accessories you could dedicate. Speaking of which, the Comedy Bureau's anniversary is going to come up at the end of October. Uh, if I get my druthers, it'll be October 25th, but we'll see. Um I want there to be a show in LA and New York and that's the plan, but we'll also see about that. So stay tuned. Um, Julie, it's always great catching up and I really, really enjoyed the documentary and everyone should go see it. Uh, comedy fan or no, or even if you're a nine 11 truther, go watch it. I would say. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not about actually nine 11, you know, there's, yeah. I think, I think two minutes, um where we just established what happened and the context comedians were going to be working in the aftermath but it's more about comedy and healing and um yeah just kind of trying to figure out how to move on from any event in your life that's tragic small or large right absolutely um is there anything you would else you would like to promote where can people find you online I'm just Julie Siwa at uh, Instagram is my main uh, social these days, even though I don't really check that it that much either. Um, and juliesiwa.com is my website, all my past writings and future projects. Um, okay. Yeah. And too soon comedy after nine 11 airs on vice September 8th, mm-hmm. 9 PM. And we're having our uh, Chinese theater screening in Hollywood Boulevard, September the 11th, 2.30 in the afternoon through uh, Dances with Films is the film festival. So you can get tickets at danceswithfilms.com. And the film itself has a website that people can keep uh, up to date with? Toosoondoc.com. We have, uh, yeah, some some information about the filmmakers and uh, all the interviewees and news and... uh, the uh, the trailer is not officially supposed to be up yet and available to the public, but it is. So if you sneak on to Too Soon Doc, you can get a sneak peek at the trailer that nobody else has seen yet. <laughs> Although I think it's going to be, it's, it's supposed to be released this week. So depending on when this episode comes out, I might be talking out of my ass. All right. All right. I mean, everybody seems to be doing that. I mean, like, uh, supposedly the new Spider-Man trailer wasn't released, but ah, it is. It is. <laughs> yep. Too soon is it's the next Spider-Man for sure. In terms of, <laughs> yeah. In terms of popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I certainly, I certainly hope so. Well, uh, I'm Jake Ruger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can follow the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com and at the Comedy Bureau uh, across socials. You can follow me at Not the Supermarket on Instagram and Emma Jake Ruger on Twitter. There are so many great causes to support this time, and I ask uh, please to support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau on Patreon, GoFundMe, Venmo, uh, what have you. All of that will be in the show notes. Uh, because I've been running it for almost 11 years and I'm still keeping it going and covering LA New York comedy at the same time. There's a reason that nobody does that. 
it's like it's like not a good idea <laughs> i don't i don't want to do that That's <laughs> and julie's written about comedy longer than i have 19 years in in this coming january and yeah, i don't yeah, want to yeah. do that yeah that's, don't that's get me wrong i love take. doing it yeah but uh and I, i'm glad to uh sing my teeth into new york comedy but my guy guy arguably you, you guys do too many shows that's what i'm starting to see we could go we could do like another episode about new york versus la <laughs> comedy but I'll, I'll save that for the next yeah. project to oh yeah i'll have you back on for sure julie <laughs> um but uh with all that said uh do you have anything else to say as we sign off here oh gosh um yeah I, I mean i think we've covered it for all the movie stuff and just yeah um support live comedy it, it's you know obviously needing as much patronage as possible and support the comedy bureau and uh support other things uh, that uh bring you joy and and don't try to tell people what comedy they can and cannot laugh at that's i think the takeaway message i guess right right absolutely uh especially you cafe muse <laughs> yeah. the location of an open mic where the owner uh tried to censor us by topic oh yeah. but it was really weird where she's like don't tell abortion jokes like but like i mean just i mean if it's like funny but like don't but <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they haven't added mm. it in years. Uh, anyways, uh, comedy is still ha- indeed happening. And uh, as Julie said, uh, please go support it. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it! Yes. Positive push. You got it. Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Grineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.